Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, October 3rd, which means it's Media Monday. Today, John Kelly and I talk about the NFL's concussion problem and how the sports media covers it, a conversation that flared immediately after Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa was carted off the field during last Thursday night's game on Amazon. And we discuss the end of Trevor Noah's time hosting The Daily Show. Who might fill his shoes? And does it even matter? We'll hear about all that and more in today's episode, Powers the Beat. Hey guys, it's Peter. I travel all the time, especially in an election year. And as we all know, what luggage you choose matters. Briggs & Riley is my personal favorite because their luggage performs. It's extremely durable, has amazing features that make packing and getting around easier, and they have the best lifetime guarantee in the industry. If your bag is ever broken or damaged, they will repair it free of charge. No proof of purchase needed, no questions asked, even if an airline damages your bag. All features were created to address customer pain points for a better travel experience. They're extremely durable with rigorous testing and premium materials to last for life. And one thing I love, they're supremely smooth, shock-absorbing wheels for easy gliding through your travels through whatever airport you're zooming through. And hot off the press, the Simpatico collection of hard-sided luggage. It's new and improved and just launched on BriggsRiley.com. That's Briggs-Riley.com. It has the new one-touch feature, which allows you to expand your luggage, pack it, and then compress it to its original size. So a carry-on can still fit in the overhead compartment, and that's just one of the new features. It's available in black, navy, and olive. So check out all the Briggs and Riley offerings at Briggs-Riley.com. That's Briggs-Riley.com. Happy Media Monday and happy October, everybody. If it's Monday, I'm joined by the boss man, John Kelly, to talk about the media. John, you and I talked a couple weeks ago, I think, about Amazon and uh, their NFL broadcast on Thursday nights. I like it. I think there's room to grow and experiment. Um, was tuned in on Thursday night because uh, one of my two NFL teams, the Cincinnati Bengals, were playing in their ice white Bengal helmets. And in the second quarter, Miami star quarterback Tua Tagovailoa went down. Looked like he hit his back hard, kind of hit his head. His hands twisted up in a weird way. You know, everyone on the internet was speculating that this was you know, the consequence of the fact that he was playing for the second time in five days after maybe getting a concussion. The previous Sunday was cleared to play by the Dolphins staff and then passed NFL concussion protocol. And so the conversation on the internet and Twitter immediately was like, the NFL should be canceled. This is tragic. They shouldn't be doing this. Um, There's some truth to that, but we still, we don't totally know what exactly happened as of this taping. One thing that struck me was, regardless of to his health, uh, and what the actual outcome is here. Like, how do you think NFL and college football, like broadcasters, talk about these injuries, concussions, long-term consequences for players? I mean, I feel like it doesn't come up as much as it should, even though it's in the conversation outside of sports, like in, in regular media. It's so interesting. Uh, Amazon's Thursday Night Football has now become one of the staples of, of Media Monday. Um, <laughs> I just gotten home. I just gotten home last night 
I was um, reading through Matt's, uh, as usual, excellent uh, one I'm hearing piece, which was about to be published. And, and I saw your text about Tua seeing, and you said, we got to talk about this. And actually, I wasn't in front of the TV, but at that very moment, I was getting blown up on my uh, text threads and on my, my group chats with friends saying, you know, can, can you believe this? And so I immediately went to turn it on and I ended up... Um, Watching the, the rest of the game, you forgot to mention your, your other uh, childhood hero, <laughs> Joe Burrow, go Tigers. Um, uh, this is like a, a Peter Hamby a double-barreled fantasy, a LSU quarterback of, a, of his bizarre, uh, you know, uh, sweetheart Cincinnati Bengal team. So the, the brain injury issue is obviously, you know, terrifying. Anybody who saw Tua get hit last week, they said it was a back injury. He got up so weak and wobbly need. It was terrifying. To see him go down again was awful. And there was a chill in the broadcast. So I started watching this around halftime. And there was a deep, uncomfortable chill on the sideline. It dominated the conversation. I think in some ways, and this, is, we were, this reflects what I was texting you, you were texting me back. A lot of these first-time broadcasters, I think, were, I don't want to say out of their depth. They weren't out of their depth. But they were responding in real time in a way that was much more human and normal than the um, than the the more I thought professionalized CBSified type broadcaster, who's may have been inclined to sort of t talk this away in soliloquies of "Oh, you hate to see that," or you know, it's a brutal game. And what was most interesting to me was after the game. I'm not sure if you stuck around afterwards, but. They were going down the line. Your man, Andrew Whitworth, again, a terrible wardrobe. You got to talk to Bill Hamby about this because there's another <laughs> um, uh, a sweatshirt, hooded sweatshirt under jacket look. And and um, Ryan Fitzpatrick looked like he was a, a an extra, um, like Vince, Vince Vaughn's body double in Swingers. Um, <laughs> they, they were going up and down talking about how scary this is and how the, the, the protocol is complicated. And they all admitted to times where they had been hit very hard during their careers. These are all long-time, decade-plus pros. And past the protocol, which some people speculate is really a player-friendly uh, protocol, and been pulled from games by teammates or coaches or people who said, you have to get off the field now. And the camera panned out, and you saw Tony Gonzalez at the end making what looked like a demonstrably angry face, a quiet, fury face. Now, I, maybe I thought I'd, I'd missed it or something, but the camera zoomed back in, Gonzalez threw the toss to Fitzpatrick and then pulled it back and said, no, I'm going to stop because I want to say something that might be unpopular here, but we are not doctors. We don't know what's going on here. And it was just so atonal. And he, he, did, he did look physically unhappy. I don't know if um, he's you know, by proxy defending his ex-wife's husband here, but there's a world of difference between Amazon, which broadcasts the game, and the game itself. And I think that the concussion protocol has been a major topic of conversation ever since, I think, Junior Seau uh, committed suicide. Yeah. That, that's when it really went mainstream and people connected what we long knew, which was that there, of course, there's some sort of connection that must be investigated between uh, players who've had major brain injuries and, and depression that, that leads them to, to take their own life. The NFL did not handle it admirably. I don't want to get added uh, over this. I think it's an, an obvious point, but they did also make the game a lot safer over the years. And the, the measures they took to make the game safer ensured that there would never be a, a, a Jack Tatum, Daryl Stingley incident. And interesting to note, Daryl Stingley, the, the player who was paralyzed by a Tatum hit in August of 1978. That said, it was wild to me that the NFL is in this interesting pickle where it is now the media and the platform and the product. And when it comes to talking about its most uncomfortable issues, 
like brain disease. And thank God Tua is okay, by the way. It seems like he's okay. Although I, I don't know why he flew home on the team plane after what looked like a brain injury, but it, it seems like he's okay. There was a total discomfort in the ability to talk about this. And um, it was wild to me. And I presume that there's a, a, an owner's meeting that will be scheduled to address it because it's um, it, it, it was unacceptable. The Tony Gonzalez comments are interesting. I mean, on the same day, there's a hurricane hitting the state of Florida and people on Twitter are being like, be careful when you share images. We need to trust, you know, figure out which things are accurate. That's not a shark swimming in Tampa. <laughs> you know, at the same time, Tua goes down and everyone on Twitter is like an expert in like what his diagnosis is, like at least in my feed. And there was people who were like, you know, know-it-alls in politics and journalists and, and, off, and I follow lots of sports accounts saying Tua shouldn't be playing. And look, maybe he shouldn't have, and maybe Tony's comments were like atonal. Um, and I think the optics are really bad. The fact that he goes down five days after clearing concussion protocol, but we still don't know. Or at least in the moment after it happened, it was basically like everyone's take was he has a concussion. He had a concussion last week, even though they said it was a back injury. And then this week, it's like, oh, he got two concussions in a row. And it's just like, is everyone on Twitter suddenly a doctor? The collective rush to judgment that. The Dolphins are bad and did the wrong thing. And Mike McDaniel did the wrong thing, their head coach, by letting him play. At the time, you don't know. And so I'm just like, part of me is just like, okay, this is bad. The NFL has an issue here. Um, it is is not often discussed during games and around games and in pregame shows. We talked recently, too, about the Manti Teo documentary on Netflix. They were in the college football semifinal. And, yes. the, and the whole world was obsessed about Manti Teo's girlfriend, who I think was was reported to be very sick and I think maybe had passed away. And I was having a drink with a reporter at ESPN at the time at Wolfgang's, uh, the New York Times building where um, uh, I spent many a paycheck uh, for uh, from 2011 to 2014. Um, and when Teo came on to an interview, this reporter said, oh, you're going to find out in a couple of days that like the girlfriend's fake. And what are, you, what are you talking about? But they knew. So yeah, you're... No, but they knew, but they knew, but didn't talk about it because ESPN had the rights to the game, didn't want to mess with the narrative. And so, you know, broadcast sports, broadcast sports journalism often can't be actually journalism because they can't piss off the people who are giving them the content that's like making them millions of dollars, you know? And so that's why you don't, hear a lot of conversations about this stuff, I feel like, all the time, even on sports broadcasters that don't have NFL or college football rights. You absolutely underscored and circled the larger structural point, which is true here. We are moving to a world where the incentives get a little screwy. NFL players do not have guaranteed contracts. They need to play through traumatic injuries because performance is all that matters there. You know, there's a world in the NBA where because of different kind of collective bargaining, where a very good non-all-star player could make $70 million in a few years when the new media rights deals um, expire and, and new one starts. In the NFL, a great quarterback can make in the mid-40s now, which is obviously a lot of money, but the money is rarely guaranteed. And, and the only person who has a guaranteed contract is Deshaun Watson, which is appalling and, and, and mind-boggling given the, the accusations against him. But when everyone's on the dole, it's a really, really problematic situation. And, and it's problematic in part because we're moving to a world where the NFL in general closes ranks and it may continue to close further ranks as it figures out how do we become not just the product, 
but also the distribution. I have no doubt, and we've talked about this before, that the NFL is trying to figure out a way to become its own streaming service uh, where it has extraordinary opportunity and value. There's little doubt that the biggest reason to not let that happen isn't because of the the, the big bang of, of linear television, but because the NFL needs to be held to account in a lot of ways. It's run by a cabal of, of 30-something billionaires, and if they're controlling their distribution, then there's going to be a real accountability issue. And, and I guess that was really what I was sort of a little stunned by on Thursday night. We come back, John. I want to talk to you about The Daily Show. Trevor Noah announced his leaving. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Hey, John, at the end of last week, news broke that Trevor Noah is leaving The Daily Show after, I think, seven years. My reaction was like, Oh, yeah, The Daily Show is still on, I guess. <laughs> but like a larger question I have about Trevor Noah and The Daily Show um, came up a couple of years ago. I get the L.A. Times delivery at home. And on Saturday, the L.A. Los Angeles, LA Times real estate section is just like real estate porn. It's like mansions in Malibu for like $50 million, all this stuff. So you're flipping through. And every now and then they have like a little blurb about like this celebrity like sold this home or bought this home. And like Trevor Noah like had a like 16 bedroom house or something in Malibu or Palisades, I forget. And it cost some gargantuan amount of money. And I'm just like, part of it's because I, you know, worked in cable TV. So I'm like, I could see Jon Stewart back in the day affording that. But I'm like, how does Trevor Noah on The Daily Show, a show that not a lot of people watch anymore, getting paid that much money? And I went and looked it up after he announced he was leaving. His starting salary at The Daily Show, he started in 2014, was like six to $8 million. And then he got re-upped in 2017 for $16 million a year for a show that's watched by like maybe a million people. And that's not to say The Daily Show isn't like a useful brand. They've been really smart about distributing their content, especially on YouTube and embracing the internet as a way to achieve virality. But he kind of struck me as like a curiosity in, in a way in terms of like he made out like a bandit, like the last guy to get a huge contract out of a cable job. Um, it just felt like another time. So I don't know. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Why was he getting paid so much? <laughs> He's not the last, right? Because I, I think that um, Colbert was, I believe, uh, Dylan reported last week, was outrated by uh, Greg Gutfeld, the uh, 
preternaturally unlikable uh, host of the Fox News late night show, Gutfeld. I thought that was a joke. I didn't even realize that existed. For me, there was like a pattern spotting in all these things where when you and I were still, you know, kids, the the cultural obsession um, of our youth over who was going to replace Carson, you know, this, this open bake-off between Leno and Letterman that ended up in, in, in both guys actually um, creating the, the best possible option. But this is the opposite of a succession crisis. You know, Trevor Noah is realizing, I, I presume he's not re-upping there because he probably isn't going to get a similar sort of deal. You know, for a long time, late night made sense because you pay one guy a lot of money, but otherwise it's not that expensive. You do it five nights a week. The talent is, is generally free outside of expenses because they're all hawking some sort of uh, project or whatever. So you're getting a lot of value for that. And for advertisers in the Halcyon days, you're reaching a younger demographic. Like people who are up after 1130 are probably younger. It's hard to find them. The internet obviously changed all of that drastically um, in, in every conceivable way, TikTok and Instagram and Vice and so on and so forth. So it's part of a trend for me of watching these you know, legends of various media, whether it's Rachel Maddow type um, news broadcasters being replaced by Alex Wagner or, you know, the, the one that always hit home close to me when I started my career in magazines and you had people like Cindy Levy, who was a larger than life editor of Glamour, replaced by a woman named Samantha Berry that no one had ever heard of. And now we're going to have Trevor Noah replaced by like Ether. All we know is it's someone who's going to be grateful for whatever uh, much smaller salary they're going to get. And they're going to be absolutely um, uh, managing this into decline. And at some point, I think they're going to shut off the lights on this programming. You know, they've already contemplated, um, NBC has already contemplated giving 10 o'clock back to the affiliates. What's to stop them from 1130 to through the rest of the night? I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's a, a matter of timing at this point. And there's probably some brinksmanship between the networks and, and the marketers. Um, and it's only a couple years away. Yeah. And we should say like, Trevor Noah was a, like, historic pick. And, you know, he cultivated a stable of, like, younger and more diverse comedians that served as correspondents on the show. And again, embraced the internet as a way to be, like, understanding. Not that many young people are sitting down on weeknight to watch the show anymore, but we can reach them on different platforms. And they do do that. So I think he had some really impassioned essays over the years, especially during... BLM. And I like the guy. I'm just, it, it was just, it just struck me as a little bit of a curiosity. Yeah. And he's a huge talent. You know, the bull case for Trevor Noah and the bull case for this development is that Noah's 38. I mean, by the yeah. way, do you want to feel old? As I understand it, the two coaches of the NFL game on Thursday and Trevor Noah are all younger than us, which is wild to me. Um, so uh, <laughs> Trevor, and we're not that old. Um, so Trevor Noah is at entering the prime of his career and he's not going to slide down the greasy pole. You know, he's presumably going to do the new thing. I don't think it's just going to be touring or Netflix specials. I imagine that there will be a thing that is the heir to late night. We see all these cultural touchstones of our, you know, youth and, and early adulthood that are being replicated on new formats with new business models. And is someone like Stephen Colbert incentivized to try and figure out the new thing? Probably not. He's probably incentivized to try and figure out how to continue to keep, you know, CBS uh, late night show, uh, you know, going onward in, until he decides he wants to call it quits and, and do something else. But Noah's, you know, 38. So you have to think that 
he has a lot of innovation left in him. And uh, if he's, you know, if he's lucky and, and works at it, uh, as I'm sure he will, because he is funny, you're right, then he will open up the door to figure out what the next thing is. And that will create opportunities for the Fallons, the Kimmels, the Seth Meyers. And, you know, the thing we don't talk about is, I know everyone says Lauren Michaels is going to stay on forever at Saturday Night Live. Um, but I have a feeling that w one day, you know, um, that won't be the case. And that to me also seems like it's potentially a, a, a sort of creative Yugoslavia and, and he's the Marshall Tito. And um, when, uh, when, when he leaves, it's going to be hard for someone to piece that all together and make it work. <laughs> Lauren Michaels, Marshall Tito analogy. Only, you only hear that on Media Monday from John. Um, Dylan has a piece up about Trevor Noah meditation on, on sort of what we're talking about here. I encourage you to check out. And if you're really bored, and want to go deeper in the internet, um, there were some paparazzi photos of Trevor Noah kissing Dua Lipa last week. So that's a catch. Apparently, he's dating Dua Lipa. Good for you, Trevor. All right, John. Have a great week, man. All right. You too, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 